Jesus is going to call you today like he called the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler was unwilling to do what the other disciples did and leave it all behind and follow Jesus. It's not because wealth and following Jesus are mutually exclusive, but it's because wealth was Lord in the rich young ruler's life. He was self-righteous and totally, totally fell into what Jesus did as he cleverly omitted certain commandments which, which the rich young ruler claimed to have kept his whole life. But that which you would refuse to surrender to God, should he ask it from you, is actually Lord in your life. Peter dropped his cast net and his fishing livelihood. It left it all behind and immediately followed Jesus. The rich young ruler got the exact same invitation. Come follow me. He could have been the 13th disciple. But as is common in our culture today in America, he had a hard time letting go of that to follow Jesus. This is how to prosper biblically. I say that word prosper, and I think it's a beautiful blessing from God, but that word prosper has been dragged through the mud by heretical teachers. So if you're expecting a self-esteem boost, this is not the sermon for you. This is not gonna be a Joel Osteen-style sermon where I tell you that you're entitled to more and God only has blessings for you. Sometimes it's God's will that you would be afflicted. Okay, but if you wanna see shock and awe campaign to the book of Proverbs and everything it teaches about finances, if you want to be convicted for sinful behaviors within your finances and repent from those, if you want to be affirmed by the godly practices you've carried on in your finances, then hopefully this is the sermon for you. But in either case, just like you called the rich young ruler by the time we're done today, my skeptical friend, you're going to have the opportunity to follow Jesus' call, come follow me. You're going to see through the book of Proverbs how you can, through godly wisdom, obtain wealth, and then, because of that same godly wisdom, give and give generously. My prayer is that you would heed the call of Jesus, that you would heed the wisdom of Proverbs and submit to the author of this amazing text. My skeptical friend, I know for a fact you agree with these words. Better a little with righteousness than a great income with injustice. It's Proverbs 16, 8. And if you're only in it for the tweetable bits, you better take the Proverbs 16, 8 part off because you might end up pointing people to God because you and I both know that that's true. You and I both see the echo of that passion and its truthfulness and the outcries of the oppressed for centuries. Better a little with righteousness than great income with injustice. And the fact that you know it's true is a confession of sin. Here's why. This comes from the living word of God. He is so much cooler than you. He wrote this 3,000 years before Twitter was even thought of, man. This is the living word of God. And because you and I both know for a fact that Proverbs 16, 8 is true, you cannot choose to believe that, which I already know you do believe it, and then choose to not believe Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death. 
but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And if you do, look who's picking and choosing now, my skeptical friend. Look who's picking and choosing which Bible passages are true. It's not me, man. It's you. You're choosing to believe the wisdom of God in finances, and you're choosing to skip only the passages that tell you to repent from sin, only the passages that you don't agree with in their original intent and context. This is the living word of God. If you want to prosper biblically, heed this wisdom. For the next few sermons, what I've done is chosen passages that speak to a singular theme that that is throughout Proverbs. We looked last week at Proverbs on marriage. We looked this week at Proverbs on finances. But you'll see that these Proverbs are not organized into one single chapter. Your reading plan, available at highlandcc.org, will take you continuously verse by verse through Proverbs. I want you to continue on that reading plan. But you'll notice that these financial Proverbs are not all located for your convenience in one single chapter. It's not like there's a chapter on relationships, a chapter on how to find your voice, a chapter on finances, a chapter on marriage. Rather, Proverbs and couplets and sayings from each of these topics, is, they're scattered heterogeneously throughout all of the Proverbs together. And there's a reason for that. God could have, obviously, organized each of the Proverbs according to topic, but he didn't. Instead, we have the book of Proverbs as it exists today. And it exists today in this fashion for a reason. That's why I want to implore you, continue in or join in with the reading plan and join a small group that is using Explore the Bible so that we as a church together are discussing these things, applying our lives to these things in the context of community But I want you to see how interconnected each of these ideas is. Because if you're wise in your finances, that comes from godly wisdom. That means you're wise in your relationships. You're wise in your marriage. You're wise how you speak truth. If you lack wisdom, that lack of wisdom is going to manifest itself in your marriage, in your finances. And finances could be the most clear litmus test of all because there's literally arithmetic proof that you lack wisdom as you see the book of Proverbs serve the same function as the plaque-detecting stuff we chew at the dentist because it shows where the decay is. Especially if it's painful for you, I want you to look at your bank statement because it's going to tell you where your heart is. It's going to tell you what you're passionate about. It's going to show you what's Lord in your life. I pray to the glory of God. You look at your bank statement and you could see Highlands Community Church and a recurring gift there. And it's not just because I hope that we give to Highlands Community Church like my family does. It's because your treasure, in the things, your treasure is in the things of God. Your heart is in the things of God. And that is reflected beautifully in your bank statement. The Bible has a lot to say about our finances. My skeptical friend, you're going to see that it's all true. My prayer is that today you would give your life to Christ as you receive the same invitation that the rich young ruler did. Proverbs 10.4. Idle hands make one poor, but diligent hands bring riches. If we're undisciplined with our money, we'll be undisciplined in other areas. All right, we, we preached the first four weeks of Proverbs in order, and now as we survey this, you're going to see the word diligent come up often in these teachings about finances. 
Idle hands make one poor, but diligent hands bring riches. It's never been more true in any context than ours because there's never been fewer forces in the way of your entrepreneurial endeavors. There may be systems in place that would oppose you, but there is nothing, Christian, who's sitting in the center of the will of God. There's nothing that can stop you with your godly diligence. Godly diligence. Idle hands make one poor. If that's you, if you've been idle, don't act like you're shocked when you see that you're poor. Diligent hands bring riches. Look at Proverbs eleven fifteen. If someone puts up security for a stranger, he will suffer for it. But the one who hates such agreements is protected. Observe the way that poor financial decisions, such as in the case of Proverbs eleven fifteen co-signing on a loan for a Ferrari for an unemployed Facebook friend is indicative of a lack of wisdom overall. Because you lack wisdom, you're going to make poor financial decisions. So as you take notes on this, do not, do not write down, don't co-sign on loans, don't put up security for strangers. If you take that one little piece of application away, you miss the bigger picture. Okay, it's, not just, it's not just one thing. Like, that's like looking at a buffet lined with brisket and pulled pork and, and, and just taking a napkin from the front of the buffet. Look, look at this and ask, ask the question, why does the wise person hate agreements like those? Is it because he's stingy and doesn't want to give? Or is it because he knows he'll be able to better give, be able to give to causes that will yield eternal fruit? Because he knows, he knows that he's been charged with the stewardship of the finances that God has given him. And that to invest things in foolish endeavors and to be wasteful hinders his ability, hinders her ability to give to kingdom-minded causes. Why does the wise person hate such agreements? It's because he or she has wisdom. Seek godly wisdom. And then you will naturally hate scams. You'll be scam-proof. Okay, look at, look at Proverbs 12, 24. The diligent hand will rule. See the word diligent again? But laziness will lead to forced labor. Diligence versus laziness is pretty easy to grasp. It's pre pretty easy to understand. Consider this. You can understand it intellectually right here and now, but actually applying this proverb is going to bring about emotional pain, especially if you're caught up in your vices. All right, we can grasp this intellectually. We can walk across the two by four while it's laid on the ground. But when we raise that two by four up a hundred feet off the ground and then walk across the exact same two by four, the exact same shoes, hopefully with the exact same feet, it's the same two by four. We could walk on it on the ground. We could grasp it intellectually while we're hearing a sermon, but then actually applying it when the pressure's on, suddenly it feels different. Understand this, the diligent hand will rule, but laziness will lead to forced labor. Have you ever seen somebody who is incredibly talented and that talent becomes their downfall because it keeps them from diligence? You'll notice that in this proverb, it fully capacitates an observed reality, which is sometimes the lazy person is more intelligent than, than the diligent person. I never saw this more patently, obviously demonstrated than I did at the College of Music at Florida State University. In my freshman year, the cut rate in the percussion studio was 
That was in Dr. Park's first year. And yes, Dr. Park's is said to be part of the inspiration for the professor in the movie Whiplash. It was brutal. And you had guys who, because they were just naturally gifted musicians and they became all state musicians in high school, got to college and suddenly had to exercise diligence and it ate their lunch and they failed. It, it was brutal to see. We had these mandatory 6 a.m. master classes. And if you missed more than one master class, you had to retake the whole semester and you couldn't pass without this class. I cannot tell you how many times I saw Dr. Parks walk over and lock the door at the stroke of 6 a.m. And then at 6.01, you would hear the door handle jiggle. And through the door, you would hear like this deep moan of lament and regret. All right, it's simply true. It's simply true. The diligent hand will rule, but laziness will lead to forced labor. I literally saw that manifest in one guy who went back to the same dishwashing job that he had in high school. Laziness will lead to forced labor. What's the difference between forced labor and answering a calling on your life within the career path that God has called you? Your vocation is your ministry context. You don't have to be called to be a pastor to be called to ministry. I'm called to ministry at Highlands Community Church. You're called to ministry at Amazon. You're called to ministry at Microsoft. You're called to ministry at Boon Boona. You are called to ministry wherever your vocation is, wherever you, wherever you spend your time. You're called to ministry in raising your family. You're called to ministry there. I've seen people forced into labor just because of their laziness. Laziness will lead to forced labor. And even in our context, it no longer practices indentured servitude. Even though slavery exists through sex trafficking in the world, within the legal world, we no longer practice slavery. But nonetheless, laziness will lead to forced labor. Look at 1 Thessalonians 3. In fact, when we were with you, this is what we commanded you. If anyone isn't willing to work, he should not eat. For we hear that there are some among you who are idle. They're not busy, but busy bodies. Have you ever seen somebody who's really gifted at looking busy, but not actually producing results? Now we command and exhort such people by the Lord Jesus Christ to work quietly and provide for themselves, literally translated, eat their own bread. But as for you, brothers and sisters, do not grow weary in doing good. Beautiful theme in Paul's writings. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take note of that person. Don't associate with him so that he may be ashamed. Yet, don't consider him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Verse 10, if anyone is unwilling to work, he should not eat. Laziness leads to forced labor. So instead of being forced by laziness to labor in a career that you were forced into by circumstance, choose diligence. Proverbs 13, 4. The slacker craves yet has nothing, but the diligent is fully satisfied. Notice that this verse doesn't actually say how much the diligent has. It's possible that the lazy one could have more. But the point is that in his diligence, he is satisfied. She is satisfied. This is incredibly true in our context. And maybe in ways that you and I don't see because we live near Seattle. You know that if you have a smartphone, you are one of the wealthiest people who has ever lived. The median global income is less than $10,000. And if you earn $50,000 or more, you're in the top 1% of earners on the planet. Look at, look at how privileged we are. 
on a global scale. Now, I know that may not mean much, where the median, you know, household, like a cost of a house in the Bellevue, Seattle, Tacoma metro area is $544,541. But it does help to step back out of our bubble and see how comparatively wealthy we are on a global scale. The slacker craves and yet has nothing, but the diligent is fully satisfied. This is biblical prosperity, to be satisfied. Even Vanderchuk said that he covets the man who earns a modest income yet is satisfied with what he has because he has crossed his own finish line. Do not fall for the satanic lie that you'll be happy when you increase your income, when you climb that summit, get to that size house, that kind of car, because I'll spoil the ending for you. When you climb that summit, you'll see another summit. Oh no, that's where my happiness lies. And then you'll, you'll grind your knuckles and sacrifice time with your family and even compromise some of your morals as you, as you bloody your knuckles reaching the next summit. And then you'll get there and it's another lie because there's another summit. And then I have lived within 15 minutes of the most expensive house for sale in America. At the time, there was a documentary on Netflix called The Queen of Versailles. It was sadly hilarious. Okay, it was about a house that was for sale in Lake Butler Sound, which was between two of the campuses of the church I served at. And in that neighborhood and in Isleworth, where Tiger Woods lived and where Shaq lived and where Johnny Damon lived, the murder-suicide rate was disproportionately high. Why? because these people had run out of summits to climb. And there at the summit of the housing market in America at that time, they learned altogether too late. The enemy was so cruel that he waited until they got to that point to show them, to show them that if you're unhappy when you have little, you'll be unhappy when you're rich. If you have spiritual problems when you're poor. Your problems when you're rich will just have more zeros and commas attached to them. Do not fall for the lie that says you'll be happy when. Rather, be satisfied now. Look at, look at 1 Timothy 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. That is radical contentment. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Look at your house. Step back at the front door to your apartment and would you just thank God for it? Because we live in Seattle where there are a lot of people who would give anything to have a front door. And, and as you walk in the front door, like look at the beautiful things that are there in your foyer and just thank God for each of them. Radical contentment, being happy right now in your current house, at your current income, with your current car, readies your heart potentially to receive more if that's what God's will is for you. But if you're trying to seek more and ever more and ever more because you're under the delusion that that will make you happy, that that will satisfy your soul, that that will fix what is broken in your heart, then you are in a foolish endeavor and the enemy will wait until you have compromised more than you could have imagined to show you the truth. Proverbs 13, 11, Wealth obtained by fraud will dwindle, but whoever earns it through labor will multiply it. Proverbs 21.6, making a fortune through a lying tongue is a vanishing mist, a pursuit of death. 
Some manuscripts, including the Septuagint and the Vulgate, read a snare of death instead of pursuit of death. Proverbs 19.1, better a poor person who lives with integrity than someone who has deceitful lips and is a fool. Today is the day, this is the minute, now is the second where you repent. If you have been earning your wealth through dishonest and sinful means, if you've been earning your living through something that makes you an enemy of God, now is the time to repent. It's always now, it's ever immediate. It's not God's will that you would spend one more second in sin. So repent today and to the glory of God, downgrade your standard of living. Trade in your Ferrari for a Dodge because you'll love it even more. Do you hear me, abortion clinic owner? Repent from lifestyles that bring about lavish wealth, but destroy your soul. What good is it being rich if you're damned to hell by your sin? Repent today. Be saved today. And to the glory of God, trade in your Ferrari for a Dodge. And then sleep the sweet sleep of the redeemed and prosper biblically. Proverbs twenty-two twenty-nine. Do you see a person skilled in his work? He will stand in the presence of kings. He will not stand in the presence of the unknown. It's all the more remarkable given that this was spoken in a monarchical society and that it would remain true across the millennia and across the centuries where people were genuinely and truly and totally oppressed at times. But even in the biblical context, people skilled in their work would stand before kings. See Daniel and his spiritual gifts that brought him before the king. You see a person skilled in his work, he will stand in the presence of kings. He will not stand in the presence of the unknown. Ecclesiastes 2, 24, there is nothing better for a person than to eat, drink, and enjoy his work. I have seen that even this is from God's hand. Proverbs 13, 22, a good man leaves an inheritance to his grandchildren, but the sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. If the Lord has been laying on your heart what to do with your own financial legacy, would you consider the kingdom of God and the ministries of Highlands Community Church, go to highlandscc.org legacy. A good man leaves an inheritance to his grandchildren, but the sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. Proverbs 14, 4, where there are no oxen, the feeding trough is empty, but an abundant harvest comes through the strength of an ox. Proverbs 14, 23, there is profit in all hard work, but endless talk leads only to poverty. These are beautiful proverbs that, just extol hard work and diligence. Would you see this? If you are an honored, skilled laborer who works hard, if you are the strength of the ox mentioned in Proverbs 14, 4, would you look at what God thinks of you? Would you let that encourage your soul? You may not be rewarded financially for it, but the Lord loves your labor. It honors God. It honors God when you or skilled in your work, and you work hard, that is a beautiful thing. You'll stand in the presence of the king one day with absolute certainty. Proverbs 14, 23 should stoke us into action. If you've had that idea for an app that you're going to develop, you've been talking about it for 10 years, it's probably expired by now. Your endless talk is going to lead to, is going to, lead to poverty. It's time to actually get to work on the thing. Proverbs 21, 5, the plans of the diligent certainly lead to profit, but anyone who is reckless certainly becomes poor. Do you hear the word certainly in both contexts? Right? The plans of the diligent certainly lead to profit. You don't get to profit without a plan and without diligence. 
the grind, the stomach to take the pain of financial self-awareness, and then to hustle. You plan your work and you work your plan. You work your plan with godly diligence, doing everything you do to the glory of God, finding satisfaction in your work. Ecclesiastes 2.24 says that's from the Lord. And as you plan and as you diligently work, it will certainly lead to profit. Keep this in mind, however. The seeming guarantees within Proverbs are given within the context of godly wisdom. And we, as the audience of this book, live in a fallen world. The certainty of profit is in the context of a fallen world and is also relative qua your calling from God. Is it possible that it's God's will that you would not prosper? Is it possible that it's God's will that you would sacrifice wealth like the prophet Jeremiah to answer God's calling on your life? But let's all be mutually convicted as the Spirit leads by the following, the, the, the second half of the couplet but anyone who is reckless certainly becomes poor. Fellow millennial, there's a stereotype about you and me, okay? Okay, listen. If you took out a student loan, you borrowed money, okay? Like you literally physically signed up for this. You borrowed money, pay it back. Pay it all back and pay it off early. Don't be reckless and get yourself into credit card debt, and then act like you're oppressed. You literally signed up for this. Don't act shocked. Recklessness certainly leads to poverty. Do you see how the problem here is recklessness, not poverty? The problem here is recklessness. The recklessness is a spiritual problem. The poverty is a symptom of the spiritual lack of wisdom, which is recklessness. Proverbs 22, verse 1. A good name is to be chosen over great wealth. Favor is better than silver and gold. You need to know that it's not always God's will that you would prosper. You know that the, the, the apostle Paul called out to God for deliverance from a thorn in the flesh three times. God didn't deliver him from that. Do you hear, hear me, Bill Johnson? Right, the, the, you do you understand. It's not always God's will that you would prosper. It's not always God's will that you would be healed. It's not always God's will. Sometimes, in fact, you were on the path toward prosperity and God stopped it from happening. And you and I, because we're not omniscient, can't yet see why that was. And we can't yet fully in good conscience thank God for it. Because right now, right now we're just angry that we did the business plan and it came, came to a net loss. But what we couldn't see is what the sovereign God of the universe who sits on his throne at the end of eternity with full and perfect knowledge of everything, that it was God who rescued us from our own success. This may be the very first time you've ever come to think of God as your own divine saboteur. People tend to do things to get rewarded. And imagine gaining financially through fraudulent means. And then every time you look at that boat in your backyard, you're seeing 22 feet of reinforcement for sin, that the Lord would protect you from your own success. A good name is to be chosen over great wealth. Favor is better than silver or gold. Proverbs 17, 1, better a dry crust with peace than a house full of feasting with strife. Ask any 
rich family that is riddled with dysfunction, which would you rather have, the mansion or your peace in a small house? If you have to choose between a good name, a clear conscience, your integrity, and great wealth, choose the good name every time. If you have to choose between God's favor and gold, choose God's favor every single time. If you have to choose between holiness and silver, choose holiness every single time. Choose the thing that lasts forever over the thing that, inspired, that, that expires. You've built your mansion in the path of an avalanche that has already begun. So don't act shocked when you sold your soul to something that won't last. And then the day of reckoning comes and you stand before a savior you haven't known. Choose God's favor over silver and gold every single time they are opposed to one another. Choose God's favor. Do not thrive in the environment that expires and fail in the context that will last forever. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, Jesus says, where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but instead store up for yourselves treasures in heaven by leading people to Jesus, by exercising your spiritual gifts and community at Highlands Community Church. Store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Don't fail where it matters most where, while you succeed where it ultimately doesn't matter at all. Choose God's favor over silver and gold every single time. Here's the story of Zacchaeus. This is one of the two people in all the world's history, we can say with absolute biblical certainty is saved because it's one of two people whom the Savior himself proclaimed saved. In Luke 19, he entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus since he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. They never met before, but Jesus knew his name was going to stay at his house. So Zacchaeus quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. All who saw it began to complain. He's gone to stay with a sinful man. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, I give half of my possessions to the poor Lord. And if I have extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Today, Jesus said, salvation has come to this house because he too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and save the lost. Ask Zacchaeus, which is better, silver and gold or a name that has been redeemed by the Lord? You too will have the chance to answer the call of Jesus and follow him today. Proverbs 22, 2. Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord makes them all. In our culture, it's become in vogue to blame the poverty of the poor on the wealth of the rich. Well, this is not necessarily so. It's not a pie with limited slices. It is a pie that you can actually add value to. You can grow the economic pie. All right, I said this two years ago. You can write an ebook, charge $10 for it, sell 100,000 copies, netting a million dollars in profit, having zero obsolescence, zero operating costs, and having disenfranchised zero people. 
and your book, now valued at a million dollars, is a part of the overall economy. Do you see the irony in tweeting about how Apple has too much money on your iPhone? Do you see the self-defeating nature of driving past Bezos' house, shaking your fist at him while there are Amazon boxes in your recycling bin? Understand, understand that especially in our culture, in our context, it is in vogue to hate the rich because of their wealth, but this teaching is absolutely true. The rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord made them all. Proverbs 22, 7. The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. So these two verses, right, 22.2 and 22.7, both in the same chapter, they speak about the rich and the poor. The rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord makes them all, yet the rich will rule over the poor. I get it, Jesse. Both of them are made in the image of God, but the rich sure do seem to have it easier in this life. You don't know what's happening behind the mansion doors. You don't know what they're facing. They might want to switch places with you. We are already divided enough. The enemy has thoroughly divided our culture on ethnic lines. Don't let him further divide us along economic lines. The rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord makes them all. Now, to this teaching that the borrower is slave to the lender. Do you remember the time that Experian, one of the three big firms that helps determine credit scores, compromised the personal information of 15 million people on one occasion and 30 million on another occasion. And then Equifax compromised the personal information of four times as many people as that. And now today, Experian offers you the chance to pay them to boost your credit score, thereby totally discrediting the whole point of credit scores. Thanks, Experian, for giving us the chance to bribe you to fudge your own numbers on our behalf. This is great. Look at this. The people who sold your information inadvertently to the dark web are kindly extorting you, giving you the chance to pay them. The borrower is slave to the lender and the lender's watchdog openly inviting you to pay them to further corrupt the whole system. Absolutely, it's good to have a good credit score but don't go into debt unnecessarily. If you go into debt, like many Americans do, I know I'm talking to people right now who are in needless debt. I'm not talking about your medical debt. I've been there, paid it off. I'm not talking about your mortgage. I've got one of those too, for now. I'm talking about needless, frivolous debt because you're trying to keep up with other people. You're trying to keep up with the Joneses or you're under the impression that if I could just get that thing that I can't afford and don't have the means to pay back, that then I'll be happy. You are putting shackles on yourself. The borrower is slave to the lender. Do not go needlessly into debt and avoid even being a lender if possible. Proverbs 22, 26 through 27. Don't be one of those who enter agreements who put up security for loans. If you have nothing with which to pay, even your bed will be taken from under you. Proverbs twenty-two sixteen: oppressing the poor to enrich oneself and giving to the rich, both lead only to poverty. All right, look at Proverbs 22 now. I want to talk to grandma and grandpa real quick. A generous person will be blessed for he shares his food with the poor. Do not give as a means of manipulating people. Okay, don't just expect that Christmas is always going to be at your house because you give your grown grandkids $500 every six months, Grandma. 
Okay, that's not giving. That's not giving. Give because you love Jesus. Give because you love these people. Give because it honors God. Give to people who can't pay you back. Give expecting nothing in return. That's actually giving. But trying to give as a means of manipulating is trying to buy someone's affection, which is futile to begin with and ultimately will not work. Give and give generously and give to the poor, but give because you love Jesus. Proverbs 23, verse four and five. Don't wear yourself out to get rich because you know better, stop. Because you know better, stop. If you're wearing yourself out to get rich, stop. Proverbs 28, 20. A faithful person will have many blessings, but one in a hurry to get rich will not go unpunished. Proverbs 27, 23 through 27 may cause some of us to download an app called Mint, which helps you keep track of where your money goes. If you're looking for a basic financial management system, I would recommend, especially those of you who are planning on getting married one day, the late Larry Burkett's Money Before Marriage. That's not a list of priorities. It is a chronology. (laughs) Work out your budget. Give 10% to your church. Save 10%. Live off 80%. Know well the condition of your flock and pay attention to your herds. Look at your bank statement. For wealth is not forever, not even a crown lasts for all time. Ask anyone who played football for the NFL and then went broke. Proverbs 28, 11. A rich person is wise in his own eyes, but a poor one who has discernment sees through him. My little son Ace loves this. One of our hand motions. Don't be wise in your own eyes. See that Ace? Do it with me. Don't mistake skills with finances for godly wisdom. Don't be the rich fool because it could be a poor man who has discernment and sees straight through you. Proverbs 30. Two things I ask of you. Don't deny them to me before I die. Keep falsehood and deceitful words far from me. Give me neither poverty nor wealth. Feed me with the food I need. Otherwise I might have too much and deny you saying who is the Lord. Or I might have nothing and steal profaning the name of my God. Proverbs 16.8. Better a little with righteousness than great income with injustice. Proverbs 11.4, wealth is not profitable in the day of wrath, but righteousness rescues from death. Proverbs 11.7, when the wicked person dies, his expectation comes to nothing and hope placed in wealth vanishes. Proverbs 11.28, anyone trusting in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like foliage. If you have been trusting in your riches, my skeptical friend, you've been serving a false God. If you have sacrificed your integrity in the name of gaining wealth, you have ultimately failed. Would you, unlike the rich young ruler, follow Jesus so that finances are not Lord in your life, but Jesus is Lord in your life? Acknowledge that everything, everything is his. Everything you have is his and you are his. You and I both know, my skeptical friend, that these words are absolutely true. Better a little with righteousness than great income with injustice. We know that it's true. It's the word of the living God. And that same living God is pulling on your heart right here and now. Would you pray with me God's word to God and begin a fear of the Lord 
so that your wisdom would be founded upon the truth of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. You know this is true. You know God wrote it. And because you know it's true, you confess that it's the word of the Lord. So confess to the Lord that you are his, along with all of your resources. Would you pray with me right now? God, I believe you. I believe that you love the world so much that you gave your one and only son. That if I would believe in him, I would not die, but have everlasting life. I confess, God, that I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I confess, God, that the wages of my sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. I believe you, Jesus, when you said that you are the way and the truth and the life, and there's no way I can come to the Father except through you, Jesus. So right here and now, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. Would you say Jesus is Lord right now? Just say it. Jesus is Lord. You're Lord over the earth. You're Lord over my finances. You're Lord over my heart. I believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. Now God, let me be saved. Let me be saved. Let me be saved. In Jesus' name, amen.